Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody disgusting network. Coming up next is something indescribable, tantalizing, and mind-numbing. Enjoy. Did you ever watch The Twilight Zone? Remember The Twilight Zone with Burgess Meredith? Remember, he, he, he loved to read, and there was a nuclear war, and he had no friends anyway, and he was oh, down on yeah. basic glasses. About the mannequins that got two weeks off and turned into humans, and they were allowed to go out and shop for two weeks on their own, and then this one came back, and it was over two weeks, and the other mannequins went come over here for a minute and turned into plastic. You, you want to see something really scary? Yeah. Hey, folks, it's Frank Panacci from Zoning Out Podcast, or as the fans like to call me, the grading one. Yeah. I'm getting better. I'm trying to get better. So what is this scum of the earth business you got here? So let me take you back. Around uh, July or August of this year, my cousin, Christopher Feinstein, who's one of our co-hosts on Zoning Out, uh, approached me. Not physically. He just, you know, called me up. And he was just like, his show Haunted American History had been picked up by Bloody Disgusting. And they were looking for some more content. And me and him, going back, I mean, at least 15 years, have tried to put podcasts together with no success, uh, mostly because we we tried a couple times and then get bored of it. This is the longest sustained anything we've ever done together. And, you know, we settled on doing a Twilight Zone recap. It's a show we both love. And, you know, those first few episodes, uh, if you ever dare to listen to them, we're very just trying to feel it out. Like I have never done this before. It may come as no surprise to you that I have not really had much experience in the audio department. (laughs) There's a lot of ums and ahs I have to cut out still to this day, 13 episodes in at the time of this recording. I think we're getting better. I think we're getting a lot more relaxed. We're understanding how to use our voices better. Uh, At least I hope so. I don't know. So while we're doing zoning out, Uh, a movie called Terrifier 2 comes out. I know one of the producers on Facebook and uh, have mutual friends with him. And I said, you know, we should, uh, this story, this crazy story is like sweeping the internet about this horror movie. And I know I'd seen the first one and I enjoyed it. Uh, I, the second one wasn't, if I'm being honest, wasn't really on my, it was on my radar a little bit. I, I heard about it through, you know, through Facebook posts uh, from Michael Levy and uh, my friend Marcus Sabine, who was our guest today. And it came down to it. We had like these discussions behind the scenes. Like, what are we going to do? Should we just interview him? It's like, it's not what we do here. You know, we talk about Twilight Zone. But I said, you know, it's such a cool story. And we're, we're really not even like clout chasing or anything. It really was just like, this is the coolest fucking independent film story of the decade. We have like a, uh, a connection to one of the people involved in it. I just want to know what exactly happened there because it's so cool. So, you know, I, I write him and thank you, Michael Levy, again for saying yes to coming on a bunch of weirdos. Like, hey, we kind of, I kind of know you through a friend. Do you want to come on my podcast, please? And he was so nice. And of course, it was a really fun interview. What happened was, oh, yeah, we do the interview and I really enjoyed it. And it really set something off in me where I'm like, wow, I just asked somebody to come on a show and I just asked them about the stuff I'm interested in, which is, you know, cult films and horror films. 
And they said, yes. I said, wow, I want to do more of that. And so that's what leads us to here. First of all, uh, before I go any further, let me just thank Bloody Disgusting, uh, Bloody FM, and of course, Christopher Feinstein for giving me this little platform to do something like this. It really has changed my life. I've worked in production and worked in film for 20 something years at this point. And, uh, and honestly, since I've been doing this, I have not really much interest in going back. I'm loving this, the whole thing. It's been so much fun. It's been so life-changing. And I want to thank that. And of course, let me thank, oh, I should do the thing where I thank the people for listening. Yes, thank you too. Uh, I really, you have no idea how much I appreciate it. You know, I, you work in film for a lot of years and you just hope somebody sees what you're doing. Me and John Sachs talked about this. We were just floored because we both came from production and it's just like so hard to get people to watch anything you made. I made a feature. I made a feature film and it's just sitting on YouTube. Nobody's watched it. And that's fine. I mean, I understand that. It's tough to get people. Like I, if somebody makes a movie, sight unseen, you're not going to go watch it. It's like, oh, the fuck? there's a lot of other things to do. But with podcasting, it's been amazing. It's like instant feedback. Um, and, and, and just lots of like interaction with people. And it's just great. I, I absolutely, it was something I never saw myself doing and I've absolutely fallen in love with it. And I hope to keep doing it for as much long as I can. Uh, so thank you all for that. This show, uh, Scum of the Earth, what I want this show, Scum of the Earth, to be, this spinoff of Zoning Out, uh, is a place where filmmakers that I'm a fan of and filmmakers I'm friends with could have a space to come on and talk about their films in a way they don't usually get to. And really, honestly, it's so selfish what the show is. It's so selfish. It's just me being a fan. I have this platform where I could get people who I'm fans of to talk to me. <laughs> It's just that I'm a fan and I just really love talking to these people and love talking shop about film. And I love talking about horror and I love talking about uh, cult films and B films. And that's what I want this show to be. The title comes from the Herschel Gordon Lewis film, Scum of the Earth. It's one of my favorite exploitation films. And that's the kind of stuff I want to talk about, exploitation, horror, from people who are vets of the whole thing or people on their way up. Uh, I hope you stick around for this. It's very different from what we do on Zoning Out. This is my passion project. Like, so I love Zoning Out. It's the most fun I have all week. But I always wanted a place where I could talk to like horror film fans. And again, I'm not like the most social person. So it's weird to like sit down and talk to people for like extended periods of time. I'm still learning the ropes of it. I'm still I'm not as polished as I'd like to be, but hopefully I'll get there. So after we did the Michael Levy thing and I realized I wanted to do something like this. There's been like a few months in between them. It's because I've just been compiling interviews because I want to have this show come out weekly. And it's not as easy as zoning out where it's like, okay, watch an episode and, you know, record your thoughts on it. It's, you know, it's a lot of phone calls. It's a lot of emails. It's a lot of scheduling and the scheduling problems as we've had. I've had a couple of guests drop out. I mean, not being dicks. They would just, you know, life happened to them. So it, I wanted to have at least two months worth of episodes before, you know, I started putting them out. So, cause I know I'd have like enough time to like get more interviews and I got some cool ones on the way. I, I had no idea I'd have so much fun doing this. Uh, we had uh, Barry J. Gillis, uh, one of the creators of the cult masterpiece, Things, from 1989. It was so cool. We I recorded that on Thanksgiving uh, because he's Canadian, didn't understand what Thanksgiving was. And I 
don't know how to look at a calendar, but it was great. I couldn't think of a better thing to do on Thanksgiving. It was like one of the coolest times I ever had. Uh, we also have Annie Choi. I've, I just interviewed from Bleeding Skull. Again, these are just people I'm fans of. And I just like rang up I'm like, hey, you want to come on my show so we could so you could talk about stuff that I enjoy hearing about? It's so selfish. It's so selfish. I originally recorded a monologue. It was kind of a fucking mess, if I'm being honest. So it was just like me trying to be funny, but it just sounded like I was angry. I Okay, I'll give you a Cliff's Nose version of it. So let me just catch you up to where we are. I had just recorded my, my completely botched and stammering and sweaty and awful monologue. And the, the last piece of it relates to about how production in the independent and low budget world uh, is kind of borked like the methodology in which most people employ in order to make their first film. And a lot of these independent films that I worked on, it just doesn't make sense. And the most successful films I've ever worked on were the ones that broke from that format. And the most successful filmmakers that I've seen come up, I've come up alongside were just people who just said, this rule book stinks. So that's where we're coming. That's how this interview starts is me making that point sloppily and me asking Marcus what he think, what his take is on that. Hope you enjoy it. This is a first episode. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of bugs here. I'm still in that place where I scream everything that I was doing a few months ago, because I just don't understand how sound carries still learning. Thank you so much for listening to zoning out draft class. And I hope you enjoy scum of the earth. Thank you. I'm doing great, brother. Thanks for having me here, man. <laughs> uh, do you agree with that? Like, uh, the, the, the most successful stuff I've ever worked on was like Pounds and was the stuff where it was not following the typical production format where everybody, because when you keep everybody in their own corners, there's no collaborate. There's not that collaborative spirit. And like the ones who I see like get distribution and the ones that do the best like, are the most visible to me because most of the features I worked on for all those years did never even got released or they got like, like the one film that we worked on. <laughs> the film that shall not be named. Yeah. I'm not going to name it because those, those, those awful Canadians that ran the show seem litigious. So if I bring up names, I, even though I, I know I don't, this is just opinions. I just don't need some like frivolous lawsuit level levied out. No, 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 I'm with you. But that one was a, <laughs> was oh. a we got so many good stories from that one. Dude, um, that was brutal. So you worked, you worked on the, the one about uh, postal guy, uh, delivery guys, right? The first one. Uh, with uh, the I guy. I don't know what the plot was. I got brought in in the last week. Um, if that's what I'm thinking of. And it was the one that same uh, producers, uh, like the, the yeah, same producing yeah, the people. three Canadians that were that were uh, that came down, and the AD was a very brutal, brutal human being. Oh, that awful Englishman! Yes, and then he came in, and uh, I remember, I'll never forget this because he was being such a dick on one day, and um, we were on we were on that built set that there was like a bathroom that they built, and um, they gave me the fog machine, and. Uh, Oh I god, like, that fog machine that brought a lot of people to tears. Oh yeah, and at one point I remember, um, I think it was it was either Tor or um, wow, Tor. Yeah, I think it was Tor. Tor, like he, this guy had just said not Tor, Tor not uh, the AD he had said something that was like really off color that pissed everyone off, and he comes out and he screams at me and is just like blah 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 blah, 
something about like about, about, about there not being enough smoke. Or something like that. Cool, blimey. Yeah. You need this doesn't look like London. He said whatever he said. <laughs> Pretty much. His, that guy's family was awful too. Because he brought his like wife and kids to set and I to remember that. a child. They were just rotten people. Like oh, yeah. I was just like, is what's his name here? That's his wife, just saying to me. I'm just like, What? Who are you? She's like, oh, I'm his <laughs> wife, and these are his ugly children. And I'm just like, Oh, he's over there. Yeah. He's like, Ugh. He actually yelled at me. Like, luckily, I wasn't a depart. Like, I didn't get it that bad on that film. Sadly, that's not the worst job I ever worked. It was no, no, uh, same here. No, no, no. That one was a cakewalk compared to some of the other ones I've I've worked on. There's been a couple that like I've worked where one in particular that honestly at the end I was like, I want to get out of the industry. Like, this is it was a soul crushing production. It was just like, I mean, one night we got served after nine hours cold chicken McNuggets and we're told you should be grateful we're giving you this. And yeah, yeah. three of the people were vegetarians so they couldn't even eat. <laughs> it was like... They always fuck the vegetarians. It's amazing. Oh, every honestly. time. And God help you if, if you're vegan. Like, oh, you're vegan. You might as well just blow your brains out. It's just you're not getting fed that day. No, you're getting a lettuce leaf and you're being told <laughs> you go, oh... Is I'm this good? Eat. Yeah. Is well, it they good? bring you fish. You can eat fish, right? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> and it's the worst fish on the planet. It's like... <laughs> It's like I don't. It wouldn't even be like, like it's like on the level of like the 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 whatever the hell. Yeah, it's whatever, the, whatever. The yeah, that, I've I've never had that. But it's like like whatever's left at a Long John Silver's at the end of like a day. That's what they ha- give you. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah. The last the job that broke me and said I can't do Genie anymore was a couple years later. It was actually when I started. I met. Uh, my wife, we started dating and I actually was on a great job right before that. I was working on a Nickelodeon show and the pay was shit, but it was like the work was easy. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, it was like we were only getting like I, I forget the rate, but it was just like if we shot six hours at a location and we'd wrap that location, it's like, all right, there's nothing else we could chew. Go home. So it was just like, oh, oh, that's awesome. It was one of those kind of it was just a cush gig and it didn't get picked. I don't think it even made it past the first season. Like, it, I think it got six episodes in and got canceled because I was like, I'll stay on this fucking job forever. Like bad pay <laughs> and all because this is like the work. It was just like the work. The pay is not great, but the work is great. Isn't uh, that funny how that is? It's like like the gigs where like they're, you know, you're not getting paid great. Or some well, I shouldn't say that, but like some that's of not the true best, always. But yes, yeah, yeah my favorite the jobs are the ones. Yeah. But like, I've had some great experiences on certain films where it was like I got paid shit, and I, but I didn't care because I was it was such a great team, it was such a great crew, and then I immediately retracted what I said because I've also worked on gigs where I'm like, you're not paying me enough to stay here. What it's the a, fuck am I doing with my life? It is a business of exceptions. Uh, it really is. But it's funny, like the worst, the, the thing that broke me was uh, 16 hours on. I'm deathly afraid of heights. That's the, that's why I was a terrible grip, because it's like you have to be on ladders a bunch. And I fucking hate I hate heights. And oh, yes. so I just be a shaking mess. Uh, but I was six. It was 16 straight hours on a cherry picker, 60 feet up in December in the woods. Jesus. I did not come down because it came time for lunch. I was like uh, I was working like a maxi light on it. And uh we were like lighting, uh, what was it? It was like a junkyard. We were shooting a junkyard. And the, the best is the whole film. When I finally saw the film, was, everything was completely underexposed. It was just like, ah, ah you fucks. Uh, I actually worked with two good genre guys. I worked with Kane Hodder on that film and uh, Chop Top from- uh, Oh, Bill Mosley. 
Yeah, Bill Mosley. And uh, b- both gentlemen, both yeah. great guys. I had a lot of fun working with those guys. That was the only bright spot on that film. But uh, yeah, dangerous. Uh, so it was just like, I get a call from the gaffer who was a piece of shit. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> just a piece of shit shaped like a potato. And he was like a high schooler. He was just like, dude, see that girl, like, art. I fingered her last night. It's like, dude, why are you telling me this? I'm trying to eat. <laughs> like, like he was just like one of those guys. Like, dude, I got, dude, I totally hooked. We totally made out. It's like, you're in your thirties. What are you doing? I'm not impressed by this. <laughs> I'm like, do you think I'm still impressed by you like hooking up with chicks? I am fucking in this cherry picker all day. I've been peeing and I'm debating whether I shit off this thing because it's coming. <laughs> I was just, yeah, like I didn't go to the, that's how I went to the bathroom. I just peed off of it. Are you serious? That's what I did. I was just like, oh, I'm just going to pee off the side of it because it came time for lunch. It's like, hey, it's going to take us too long to reset it. And this is my, this was literally the last day I worked as in GNA, uh, like working as an electric. And I said, Oh my God. And I said, You know what? Just leave me up here. Cause I, I, I said, Just that's fine. Just leave me up here. Cause I, I quit that day. I was like, Yeah, get, get what you get, get what you want to get out of me because this is the last job I work doing this. And, uh, Oh my God. And then I just moved over to editing, like freelance editing and videography. Luckily, technology got to a point where I could just buy shit that's like cons- like consumer level and just hire myself out, like doing like little gigs, like, you know, industrial stuff. Not the most artistically satisfying, but it was just like easy. And yeah. I was making more money just when I started doing that stuff than I ever made in GNA because it was just consistent. Uh, and you didn't I- have to piss off a cherry picker either. Oh my God. That was that was brutal. Like I was literally having you I the film the the I don't know they shouldn't have had the camera on the ground they should have had it on me because you watched a person become completely undone in the course of 16 hours by the end I was a jabbering mess because I you could oh by the way it was overloaded by 60 pounds because it was like the weight the safety like the max weight rating was like 400 and with me my fat ass and whatever lights we had on it like went to like 450 460 we figured out and they just went eh it's just like, eh. oh so every step I took, the thing would buck up and down like I was riding a bull. So I, it was just like anytime they asked for an adjustment, I was just carefully walking. I wanted to kill myself. It was horrible. I wanted to huck oh my myself God. off that fucking thing that day. Dude, that's uh, the why I never went union because I was doing art department and I was going to go union. But then you have to do the, the cherry picker um, certification. And you have to do all that shit. And I, I hate heights as well. Yeah. Um, I've gotten a little bit better with it. But like, I was like, fuck that. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to pay somebody a bunch of money to, to, to send me up and give me a fucking mental breakdown. Like, I'm like, like, no, I'm not doing this. And it's like, and you know, like when I was younger, I did a roller coaster that fucked me up. It was Superman on, um, I love uh, Superman Great Adventure. Yeah. Yeah. At, um, Six Flags in, in, in Massachusetts. And I went on that thing. And it went all the way up and I didn't realize because we had a few and I didn't realize how high we were until you get to the top of this and it and you look down, and you don't see fucking track underneath you. You just oh, see yeah, you're up, the you're ground. Under, you're underslung in that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then it literally sucked the air out of my lungs for three whole <laughs> seconds and then I couldn't even scream. And then I started screaming and it was just horrible since then. I um no i i yeah i you don't have to listen i'm a phobic of heights like you can't believe that uh where you don't have to explain this to me i i i'm part of the tribe so uh (laughs) yeah i blame my friend adam adam for that one he's the one that 
I was like, oh yeah, let's go to Six Flags. It's gonna be a great time. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> so the last time I actually saw you was at uh, New York Comic Con a couple times, and that was like a weird that. See, let me tell you about like what my day was that day. I hate this is when I was at my fattest. I was like two and change. I was like two sixty at that point. So and you hadn't seen me in a while, so it's always my nightmare to run into somebody who knows me when you're that when you gain a lot of weight. Yeah. Let me let you a little secret on the fat fuck world is that you run into somebody and you really don't want to see them because you know the conversation is going to be as soon as you're like, oh, he got so fat. What happened to him? <laughs> what happened to him? Oh, my God. He let himself go. I hope everything's OK. Just so you know, it, it wasn't OK. But uh, <laughs> trust me, I, I dirt between um, uh, COVID and everything else that went on around then. When I did, when I worked on stream, um, I was way, I was up to two thirty five. It was my the heaviest. Wow, that's pay, that's a that's a good number. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I was good, and I didn't realize how fat I was until um, the um, the uh, Indiegogo videos for stream came out, and they put up mine, and I had, you know, I look at myself, I'm like, oh my god, you fat fuck, you don't even have a goddamn neck. Like, I'm like this. I'm like, hi, I'm Marcus Slab. And I was like, oh my fucking God. Okay, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I I'm I've got I the next day I went I went to Planet Fitness, which is like a 30 to 40 minute walk from my house that I make almost every single day. I'm like, get to the gym, get up there, like bending down to put your socks on sucks because your stomach gets in the way and it's like you're you know, oh dude, it's I, I I feel the pain. <laughs> it was a yeah, that's the worst that when you hit that bottom, that moment, moment, that moment for me was medically induced. It was just like your sugar is so you did you fast for this? They kept asking me that they did like, you know, I just came in for like a routine checkup blood test. Like did, you fasted today, right? It's like, yeah, you sure? It's like, yeah, because your sugar is at 380 right now. And your A1C is at 12.5, which I, I didn't understand what those numbers are. I'm like, is that not so good? Like, you have <laughs> diabetes. I'm like, oh, again, happened during the pandemic. Yeah, and it was just like the pandemic just because I was going to the doctor routine. I, you know, I always went to the doctor routinely. And then the pandemic hits. I don't go to the doctor for two years. And then and uh, somewhere along the way, about a year in, I started noticing that my pee started smelling like delicious birthday cake. But I just said, OK, maybe I'm just. <laughs> maybe that's just you know i have changed my diet a little bit what's that mean oh don't bother god, me fucking great. I mean, that's <laughs> horrible but like that's great oh my god i'm crying right now uh yeah same thing i eventually i went to the gym and just started working out and now i'm back into fighting shape yeah uh almost i still got a lot of jiggle in my ass it's got to go but so uh like the jiggle though you know yeah i got yeah oh it's big now yeah there it's you go. big um where are you you're a boston guy right yes i am born and raised from a small town called stoughton stoughton wow isn't there a big jail there no 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 never mind no 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 I, no, no, no no i was thinking of a patrice o'neill story where he's talking about uh he got uh tried in stoughton never mind i got the, the place oh. is confused no uh, stoughton is known for two things um well it, well three things sorry town spa pizza which is like like <laughs> people come from all over the world to get this pizza um we are the town center is uh has a strip club called alex's which is one of the biggest things in stone apparently and um we are unable to ever get rid of the mcdonald's because the golden arches there is a landmark 
So yeah, there you go. My hometown is known for a strip club, McDonald's, um, and Town Spot Pizza. And now when I last time I was back there, um, the whole town center is now got it's got fucking Wendy's, Taco Bell, KFC, uh, it's got a fucking Sonic. It's got like every oh yeah, there's a Burger King, there's a fucking Every single fatty food, fast food to give you high cholesterol and kill you is now my entire town center. That's all it is. It's fast food and a strip club. Yeah, I'd lose a foot over there. Like my foot would just fall, like go necrotic within a few days if like on that diet. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, dude, it's it's horrible. The only thing I do miss from over there is two things. Uh, Chinatown, um, Chinese food, which is the best in, in the world. So it's Canton Stoughton line, but it is the best Chinese food you'll ever eat in your life. And um, D'Angelo's. I love mm. their subs. I'm addicted to D'Angelo's subs. So that's my plug for them. Hopefully they <laughs> send me some free subs. D'Angelo's. Were you a monster kid growing up? Like, were you like uh, like a horror girl? Like, uh, I always say monster kid, what I mean, just like a horror nerd when you were a kid. Like, grow- you grew up like a horror nerd. So... Yes and no. Um, I grew up a Ghostbusters kid. Um, mm. That was my life. I I was a kid at kindergarten that was known for mooning people with Ghostbuster under underwear and saying, <laughs> I will bust you, which is a really weird thing to say as a kid. But, you know, I was Ghostbusters everything. I mean, my nightstand was the Ghostbusters firehouse. Um, oh, wow. And I used to be petrified of horror movies. I hated horror. I couldn't watch it. Meanwhile, you know, like horror was kind of embedded in all of us subliminally through like Indiana Jones, like, you know, like in all like all our cartoons, they were all horror. If you really look at Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom is literally Spielberg convincing a studio to make a horror film on a giant budget. That is a horror movie. And it was accessible to children because it it was a PG film. It's like exactly they're not saying the F word. So it's okay. And there's no nudity. It's totally fine if we watch someone rip someone's fucking heart out and then drink blood and have a nightmare and have to be stabbed through a voodoo doll. But um, what got me into horror, really, was the film, the series. I say this is the series that changed my life. It is the series that made me who I am today, uh, for better or for worse. Um, and it's Army of Darkness and the Evil Dead series. And I saw... I, there was something about the trailer that I was like, I have to see this movie. I have to see Army of Darkness. I went into the theater. There was like four other people in there. Nobody was wanting to see this film. Uh, my mother, the first time she saw it, hated it, wanted to walk out. I refused to leave. And I fell in love with this. I fell in love with watching Bruce Campbell, uh, who's still the greatest actor to ever live. Um and um, then I just watched it like a million times. I had a counter that was going. It, it got up to like over 150. And then I just, I don't know how many times I've seen it since then. And then I found out about uh, back in the day, because I'm old, um, we didn't have um, IMDb. So you couldn't see any of that shit. So they had these giant ass. Golden movie retriever. Yes. Yes. Are yes. you kidding they me? Those giant fucking books. And I opened it up and it was like opening up a fucking encyclopedia. Oh, I fucking love the Golden Movie Retriever. I used to get those every year. Dude, so I opened it up and I searched through and it's like evil. And I'm like found like Army of Darkness. And it's like, you know, a bonehead goes back in time. It was like this really insulting like description of the movie two and a half stars. No, two and a half bones is what they gave it. That's what they gave. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, and um, and it said sequel, um, a prequel, Evil Dead 2, prequel, Evil Dead. And I was like, oh, 
there's more of these? And I didn't even think Bruce Campbell was even going to be in it. I thought these were going to be completely different films. I went to the store, found Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. Evil Dead was impossible to rent because it was always out. So I rented Evil Dead 2. And unfortunately, that was also the time because I'm Jewish. My father was um, trying to, I was failing out of, um, my parents were going through a divorce. So I was just a bastard kid. Um, I was a little shit. And um, you grew up in the 80s. Like, you came from a broken home. That's just that's just part yeah. of the course. <laughs> we exactly. all did. Exactly. <laughs> so my dad was like, you got to be a good Jew boy. And you and uh, you flunked <laughs> out of Hebrew school. So I'm taking you to Thayer Academy and you got to go there. And they brought me in. And unfortunately for my father, I had discovered Evil Dead 2. So instead of like learning Hebrew and all that stuff, I was pretending my hand got chopped off and putting a chainsaw on it and started drawing things. And they kicked me out of that school. And he started going, Baruch Noi Kanda. And it said, Kanda. <laughs> I start trying to Yes, summon. I started doing that, literally. And then like I, I would like pass out on the counter and i draw like the veins all over my hand and have the hand come to life. And everyone would be like, dude, what the hell are you doing, man? I was the weird kid in the class. And then I saw Evil Dead. And Evil Dead was the scariest movie I'd ever seen. It took me three tries to watch it. It fucked me up in so many ways. And when I finally was able to watch it after three full tries, I was like, I need more of this shit. So I discovered Joe Bob Briggs and oh. uh, started watching Monster Vision. And then I just, when his show went off the air, it was like, you know, it was like I solved the puzzle box in Hellraiser and Pinhead comes out and is like, you're now a Cenobite, you know? So here you go. Bring pain and torture to everybody. And I just in consumed every piece of horror I could. I mean, literally, I mean... It's, Even right now, I'm wearing a black Christmas shirt. Like it's a gateway drug. Like I saw it when I was, uh, I, mean, I was into horror a little bit when I was a kid. But Evil Dead Two hit me when I was 13. And you're, you can't, there, you when you're 13, you have or just even a little younger, you have no defense against that movie. That movie's gonna consume you, body and soul. Like it's just if you're a 13 year old kind of weird kid, that movie is just speaks on a level that. I don't think any film can elder film has like, you know, like that movie. We just did a horror draft uh, on our other one of our other shows. And uh, I told an embarrassing story about I was so obsessed with Evil Dead when I was 13. And uh, uh, but even like and it went on for years, like I was obsessed with it that to when I went to high school and I was like nervous. And plus, uh, it's a good point uh, that I'm kind of on the spectrum. So this so this might explain the story a little bit is that. Uh, when I went to high school, my first day of high school, so I wanted to be cool. I dressed like Ash. I wore a blue, like denim <laughs> shirt, and like worked. Cheap. I wanted to be cool for that first day, and like what I thought was cool was yeah. Ash. <laughs> so that's what I wore. Good old blue and brown. Blue and brown. That's what I wore. Oh, guess guess who didn't get laid for the entire four years in school? <laughs> now the real question is: Did you wear the loafers? I did not wear the loafers. I did uh, not commit. And that's probably why I didn't get laid. Exactly. Uh, because the loafers are what sells it. Well, only in the first one, <laughs> which is actually funny. The reason that they said um, that they chose his wardrobe, they said that they didn't want to have anything that was iconic to the time because they wanted the film to transcend. Granted, they didn't realize that the hairdos would be changing completely. So, mm. but that's why they gave him like a like a regular blue button up because they feel like that's ah, never going to go out of style. And the shoes that they chose were loafers because they're like, eh, loafers will be around forever. Everyone's going to wear loafers. Yeah, that was a good, good costume choice there, buddy boy. 
Yeah, Sam Raimi just it, it, it was weird when he went legit for a while. Yeah, it bothered me. It was just like when he started making for the love of the game. I still supported him, but it's just like this is not what you're good at. And like, you know, what annoys me about like the straight press when he started making movies like uh, The Gift and other films like, wow, he's become a real filmmaker. And it's like, oh, yeah, those always. Oof. It's like, what are you talking about? It's just like they the main they just want you to be like everybody else. They hate anybody who's different, like the mainstream press. Oh, totally. But and, Sam Raimi is still like like if you watch an actual like if you don't know it's Sam Raimi, right? And you just watch a random Sam Raimi movie, it is so telling that it's fucking Sam Raimi just because of his shots, the way he does everything. I mean, you watch the series premiere of Ash vs. Evil Dead which I'm still recovering from them canceling it. <laughs> Fuck you, bootleggers. Um, and um, it's um, that episode. It's incredible. And it took me a few tries to really be able to get into the style of the rest of the show because it just felt like people mimicking Sam's style. And it's like, I, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. It's still one of the greatest shows I've ever seen in my life. And I will argue that till the day I die. But like, Sam is such a, amazing filmmaker and evil dead 2 is the film that to me is a perfect movie because anytime i put it on during a halloween party it doesn't matter if you've seen it if you've never seen it if you have any idea what the fuck it's about or what scene it's on people will walk in look at the screen and go what the fuck just happened why is this guy why is this guy's hand flipping them off and they sit down and they just watch it and that is the power of evil dead 2 Dude, one of the best times I ever had in the theater was I went to uh, I didn't go to film school. I went to like a summer intensive in North Carolina when I was 18 and uh, at the what's now called uh, UNS UN and NCSA UNSC. Holy shit. UNCSA. <laughs> And it was a uh, lot of school. It's where David Gordon Green, I think he was actually there this, that time, like not when I, that summer, but he was yeah. there, David Gordon Green. And uh, a lot of that crew, that NC crew came out of that uh, school. And uh, uh, they had a they uh, they had a full movie theater and every night they'd show a different film. So I I was in heaven. Uh, I was going to movies every night. And it's usually depending on what the movie was, depending, you know, there'd be a yeah. few people here. You know, mostly from the film department because it was like, you know, it's an art conservatory. So there was like, you know, dance. There was people there for dance, there for the acting, a lot of different things. But uh, the one screening where not only was it, it was, forget about standing room only. There were people like you couldn't walk down the aisle because people were just lining the aisle, sitting and standing. Some people were doubled up on their chairs. Like it was just for Evil Dead 2. And because it was so packed, there was a dude, me, me and this guy were fighting over a girl. <laughs> it was the stupidest thing. And I yeah. still talk to the guy and like we're friends like still to this day. But at the time we hated each other's guts, but he had to sit next to each other. By the by the time like Bruce says groovy, the yeah. whole theater erupts. Me and him like hug enjoy. Like we hated <laughs> each other. We almost came to blows like the day before. We're like, yeah! We were losing <laughs> our fucking minds. Then that is the power of that movie. <laughs> it's one of the best times I've ever had in the theater still to this day if you ever meet Sam Raimi that's the story you have to tell him you just yeah. have to tell that to him it, oh, definitely that's like that's I don't do man I don't even know what it is about Evil Dead 2 but there, it just it unlocks something in everybody it really does and it's like like it's I, I, I'm 
I get speechless about it. Yeah, and... it's 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 shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's Evil Dead too. And it's funny. I've seen you bring it up because I was so obsessed with Bruce Campbell that I of and this gets this got this keeps getting brought up on my podcast. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. Some we were talking about uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and we've gone into the writer Jeffrey Bohm. Just like Frank, what else did Jeffrey Bohm write? Yeah. And, and I'm like, oh, the Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. And they went, yes. And they went. What? What? No, they they were talking about. I forget what movie they, they were they were trying to reference. There was a specifically a movie we talked about the night before, and it was just like, no, Frank, because I keep trying to like shoehorn Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. into like. It's such a great show, though. Ador- like- and you know, and you know what's great about it? One season out, but I feel it has a. It tells a complete story. Oh, it like- totally does because it's it's like twenty eight episodes, and here's the thing: it was like back like now. They're like, I think like a full, like, you know, like an hour show is like what became 42 minutes. That, that, that was like the, 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 the limit. But back then each episode was like 48. So you get like an extra, like five, six minutes of Briscoe. And that was when it was Indiana Jones meets like X-Files, despite the fact that X-Files premiered the same year, same night, right after. Yeah. Both on Friday nights. And, uh, one ended after one season and one made me hate everything by the time it ended. Yeah. Like, that's the show that made me go. This is why everybody's like watching so many TV shows. I won't watch anything. It's like X-Files made me a bitter man <laughs> by the time it ended. I'm like, that's the ending. I my Friday nights for my entire teen years, years I'll never get back. I made that my appointment, the X-Files every yeah. fucking night. It's like. Guys, I'll meet. I'll be right out. It's like, hey, dude, we're getting, dude. This chick's here. I'm like, hold on. The X Files is gonna end, then I'll meet you guys out. Hold on. <laughs> and that was like my whole teen years gone. And then that fucking finale was one of the worst things I've ever sat through to this day. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is it. And that's why it's like I don't commit to shows to like either they're finished or I I I have it on good authority. It's gonna end well, like Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul. Yeah. Better Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul is the one show that I've been like, like I, like I jumped in, I never missed an episode. I mean, Breaking Bad to me is the greatest show ever made, only followed by Better Call Saul. And I don't know without spoiling anything. Oh, I can you you saw the finale and everything. Yes. Lightning in the ball twice. I don't know how the fuck like Vince Gilligan and that team have been able to like end a show like like it it. The idea of ending any show in pleasing fans of in any way is like near impossible. No matter what ending you do, you're never going to please people. It's just not going to happen. Except for Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul that I'm like, I'm content. I'm happy. I am whole. I don't need another season. I don't want another season. I have 10 seasons now, technically, or 12 seasons because they split up the last ones of this universe. Plus a plus a movie, but we won't talk about the movie. But like, it's, it's just cute. so much. I just I eat, sleep, and breathe. But like every single time, people are like, "Hey, you did maybe you should watch the Dahmer show." I'm like, "Yeah, let me just repeat play." And all of a sudden, my name is Walter Hartwell White, and that's all I have. It's my it's life. fantastic, and I I don't know anybody. I've made people watch the pilot. Like my dad and my brother don't watch TV. I yeah. said, you're going to watch the pilot to Breaking Bad, and I guarantee you're going to want to finish the entire series. And each one, like every person I've ever recommended that show, they watch the pilot 
and they finish the show within a few weeks. Like they'll just yeah. binge the whole show and be like, I can't believe it's over, but it was so amazing. Like nobody complains about that ending. No, that final season I compare now it's, it's ruined me for shows. Um, Cause I'm also, I'm, I'm like, I'm one of the six people. Um, yes. I'm, I'm a rarity right now. That still is watching walking dead. Um, God and, bless you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, dude, I've, I've stuck it out, man. And I, I love this show and I hate this show, but like, the thing is, is that like, we're in the final, I think four or five episodes and there's so much downtime, you know what I mean? There's so much just like, Oh, you know, we're building up something. And it's, I'm like, you have four episodes left of your series. You should not be building anything. Breaking bad is the, that final season from the moment that, um, well, I don't want to spoil it for people that haven't seen it, but the, from the moment of the revelation, mm-hmm. that is just a roller coaster that just goes. They just six it, whole episodes. It they doesn't sh- let you breathe. I get so annoyed when shows at the the last minute introduce an element which is going to play a part in the finale. It's just like, listen, you've had uh, that's just bad writing. There's just no excuse for it. It's like if you got to like it's. That's why it's amazing when you go, you could go back and watch Breaking Bad and watch the, the pilot and you can see like where they line up. Like there's a straight line from it. And it makes sense. It's like where you, I don't even know where Break. I, I haven't watched Walking Dead in a long time. I, I didn't have the fortitude to stick with it. Let and me guess. Was, Negan's introduction. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it was before that. I kind of just said, I don't oh, know. Wow. This is kind of, it started spinning wheels a little early for me. I was just like, eh. It's just like I kind of fell out. It wasn't even like I, I can't watch this anymore. I just kind of felt I fall off a lot of shows. Yeah. But that one, like, but it's like everybody who stuck around. I remember another show like that. I remember everybody was getting mad at me for not watching was Battlestar because that first that first season was like electric. Yep. And by fourth season, the same people are like, I can't believe how they ruined this show. It's just like this is why I don't get emotionally invested anymore to anything. Yeah, I'm dude, it, it's hard to get me into like a show now, like a new show. Like I'm trying, like I'm really trying to to see new shows and like, you know, expand the horizon because there is such great television out there. I mean, like you, you watch like The Boys and every single episode of that show is just masterful. Like and I don't cannot understand how the hell they get away with half the shit that they, you know, like not to spoil anything. But I saw a man shrink himself, put himself inside another man's penis and then explode the penis. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? this? But it is the greatest new show. It's it's so incredible. Witcher was great. Uh, Witcher I enjoyed a lot too. Yeah, I haven't seen the second season because I, I just have to find the time to rewatch the first season because I watched about 10 minutes of the second. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Who the fuck is this? Who the hell is that? Why is she there? Wait, wait, wait. I thought he was with this one. Wait, what? Oh, I stopped. And then I just haven't been able to rewatch the original one, but the original season is what I wish that Game of Thrones was a little bit more of because it had fell more into that world of magic and all that stuff. And I'm still waiting for the final season of Game of Thrones, which I don't think we're ever going to get because they canceled the show two seasons too early. You know, they, uh, oh. yeah, you know, that never <laughs> happened. And I'll be damned if I'm going to start watching House of Dragons knowing people are like, oh, it's so good, man. You got to trust. I'm like, no, nah, fuck you. I'm not trusting shit with that show. You Especially guys if it's a prequel. It's like, seasons, and then, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing what those guys, like, the, 
it's amazing. That was a cultural phenomenon television wise that I don't think we'll ever see again. Nope. Where everyone was watching. It. Yeah. Uh, even I got in board on board and I was just, but here's the thing. I kind of got in late in the game. Cause it's just like, I got to see like when the last season started happening, the first part of the last season, cause they broke oh, up. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. So you got in late, late. No, I got yeah. in right after the red wedding. Cause I, cause everyone went off and I was like, that's what got me back into walking dead was like when they killed off a, some character. And I was like, Oh fuck this character. You killed this person off. I was like, all right, let me see this. Cause that's ballsy. And like, it was the red wedding and they spoiled who died. And I was like, okay, that is just ballsy. All right. That's how you hook me. You do a ballsy move. I'm in. And I regret it. I regret it every day. So I touched on this when I had Mike Levy in, uh, by the way, how amazing is what's going on with Terrifier 2? Oh, dude, it's it's is astronomical. Um, I think people are sick of me mentioning it on my feed, but like it is literally history in the making with what what is going on for like independent filmmaking for independent horror. This is just such an amazing, amazing ride that's been happening. I mean, this was it's almost like Married with Children. That was supposed to be a five episode show and lasted 11. <laughs> this was supposed to be a three day weekend release and then go go to streaming and that's was like the original i believe in uh release plan and it has done so well that it's going it has a third weekend a third fucking weekend it went up against michael myers okay halloween for the final halloween movie this is the well uh, um we've heard that like 17 yeah. times but regardless this is it this is the final time Laurie Strode will ever be seen on camera and Terrifier 2, this independent film that was in 700 theaters screening one time a day held its own against a movie that screened six times a day in almost 4,000 theaters. And not only did it make money and fill the house, but it actually stayed even with, with its intake from the previous weekend. In less um, theaters. It's the most insane thing I've ever heard. It's it really like, that is. does not happen. This is... Yeah. A moment. It's a it's an absolute moment. And and again, like getting back to we're talking about people who are successful. Those guys like and uh, you're involved, I, I believe, too, a little bit uh, like they have this way of just there's this spirit. There's this real you could tell there's a real collaborative feel with what they do. Like he said, like there's only there was like eight crew guys for like a lot of the shoot just yeah. do it wearing different hats. And it's like breaking protocols again with the fingers i'm doing uh they, they're breaking like you can't do that this department can't do this and he, he told a story about he mike told the story about him carrying an apple box and getting yelled at i've had that happen like i've been chewed out where it's just like i was just trying to help with this it's like that's not how it's done it's just like what yeah this movie will never see the light of day just fyi <laughs> i've worked yeah. a ton of these you'll probably you're going to go into obscurity. Enjoy your ride to the middle if you're lucky. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> but like these guys, just uh, just a bunch of friends who, and that's how it should be. Like, you know, like the way Kevin, like Kevin Smith, a great example of a guy who just said, did not know the the etiquette of an of a actual film set. And yeah. look what they did. And like all that, you always hear those great, those big watershed moments for like indie film. It's always guys who did not follow the rules. And these guys didn't follow. It was like the director is the head FX guy, which is yeah. like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'd have to stop production so he could like actually make the stuff. And then we go back and shoot it when he was done. It's like, that's unheard of. 
And so the best gore, like they have to rewrite the books. They told uh, uh, Michael oh, this. So. This has changed the game because, you know, um, you know, to touch upon, you know, the way that they shoot and everything like that, it's 100% that. When we did um, uh, Stream, um, which is like, it's it's the same team um, from Terrifier that's working on Stream. And um, and there was one night, um, uh, I will, I'll, I'm going to be vague. Don't worry, Michael, I'm not going to spoil this. Um, but um, I'll we cut were... it either way if you do. So yeah. <laughs> it's okay. No, so, I don't want to uh, hear. So, so we did like a 16 or 17 hours of shooting this giant kill scene. And um, it'd been, it was like the last day of the week. It was like the first week, you know, it was like, a, it was a really big week. Everyone was tired. Um, and we did like 16 hours. And then like um, they had to do, uh, Damien only had this particular actor for this day. So we had to mold said person's head and all this stuff so they could do the kill and do all the, the effects and stuff. So, but like, because he only had it on that day, we shot and then he's like, I, I need more time to like, make this look good um and what ended up happening was was like you know like mike and and everyone they come up to us and everybody and they say listen guys we're just if you guys want to go go to sleep you can go to sleep we only need like a couple people just down here just to shoot the inserts so we go upstairs um we we started drinking for like you know and hanging out it was like three hours just three hours of downtime we we're all having fun and then, like, we hear, okay, we're going to go shoot it. You know, no one needs to come down. You know, we just got the cameras, whatever. Of course, I went down. Um, and then I looked around, and every single crew member is downstairs in this room, hanging out, just watching this happen. I looked around, and I'm like, this, this is the team. This is the group of people that I want to make films with for the rest of my life. Because nobody... Nobody was, you know, like nobody had to be there. Like everyone could have gone to sleep and rested. And, you know, we had an early call the next day, but it didn't matter because we were all there because we wanted to make a great film. And that is the power of like, you know, when you find a group of people that are as dedicated and fun and just good human beings as like, you know, Michael, um, Michael, James, Steve, and like, you know, everybody like Damien, George, I'm just listening to all these people like everyone knows everyone's names but you know you it's not work you're just you're creating passionate films you're laughing your ass off you're having a great time and you're just really able to make the best of everything like no one's being like oh you can't touch this because it's art department oh you can't touch this because of this no it's like you know like like everyone is in everyone's working everyone's doing something and everyone is having fun you know, um, and it's it's proof. Like the proof is in the footage. You know what I mean? Like you know, Stream is going to be one hell of a fucking movie. The cast alone, um, but like everyone's seeing Terrifier now. I was really small in that. I'm I did three days. I was I mean I'm all over the uh, uh, party the club scene? scene. Club scene, yes. So it's funny because like I went I worked on Terrifier, but I didn't know Damien. Then then we worked on Stream, and we became very fast friends bonding over Jaws and uh, Charles Bronson. Um, and um, when it happening was, was that like, I was like, oh, Damien, you know, I would work, I was there in the uh, club scene and he goes, oh, buddy, I'm sorry. You know, uh, you probably got cut from it. And he showed me the scene and I go, no, you, no, I didn't. I'm right there and I'm right there and I'm right <laughs> there. And there I am in this. And he goes, fuck, <laughs> you're all over this goddamn thing. So, but, um, 
but yeah, man, like Terrifier 2, it's just, it's unprecedented. And honestly, I really, 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 I'm so happy to have been a small part of it. Um, I worked a couple of days on it and stuff. I'm so happy for everybody involved and not for nothing. It's a good fucking movie. It absolutely is. Uh, yeah. Which I saw when I mean, you watch the first film, I was like, this is a good movie. Like, you know, for a $35,000 film, there's a lot of polish in it. Oh, incredible. Yeah. That's the thing. What I get it back to what you're saying is, is not only is it better to work, like it's better for your, your, your mind to work in an environment where you actually enjoy the people and enjoy the work. You'll, if you enjoy the people, they'll enjoy the work. I have never, without fail, the quality of the work will always be better. Oh, that good. I always see. I always see it every time. So it's like all these guys trying to stick to these rigid rules, which essentially they're trying to retrofit like the the studio model and how you make films onto a like onto like you know a smaller production where it's like yeah if you when these things don't scale down the, the same way like it doesn't scale evenly when you like take like the way this process and try to put it on a smaller scale it's not going to like scale in an even way where you'll get a similar quality it's going to be a mess it just doesn't work so you have to like cut corners you have to like break you not cut corners but you have to you have to like break from the rules you have to break protocols because yeah. it just won't get done and these guys are willing to do they understand that like and that's why like you have better quality of work uh now for uh i believe felisa rosenis is in the uh, stream because michael said that yeah but uh he's also she's also in your film how did you get to meet uh the star of sleepaway camp which is one of my favorite films oh felisa uh, i absolutely Fel i keep saying felisa felisa sorry oh no it's totally fine i, th I think i did that the first few times i met her um uh I've I met Felissa through con just just through going to like conventions and stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to remember. Now you the... used to be a convention guy. Do you have a blog or something back in the day where you like interview a lot of horror? Uh, icons? Way back in the day, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's like now debunked and it's like completely gone and all that stuff. But yeah, I used to do like interviews and and horror reviews and all that stuff. Um, that's how I met like um, Laurie Cardill from from in George A. Romero and. The entire cast of Devil's Rejects, and like I got to interview anybody I wanted to, which was great. And I also got free movies, which is didn't really help my um my uh, my addiction, I call it, of collecting <laughs> physical media, which I now am over two thousand DVDs and Blu-rays in a one-bedroom apartment <laughs> in New York. So that's always good. <laughs> but um, but but I I'm trying to remember the first time I met Felissa. I think it was at the last Rock and Shock, or it was at Scaracon. I forget which one. Um, and she already um, knew, I think, Michael and Jay uh, Levy. Um, mm -hmm. And we all, and we all just, we all, we all hung out. We all kind, of, you know, we all were, um, we all just kind of got close. And then um, when she then did Terrifier two, and then the pandemic hit and mm -hmm. you know, and like doc offerings kind of happened. And then like I messaged her and I was like, Hey, we're going to do this thing. Do you now, how did dark offerings come about? Like, uh, cause the, I, I was saying them like when I getting back to Michael, we talked about that. It's like, it wasn't like, like a few months into the pandemic. Like I remember you started talking about this happening within the first few weeks. Like everybody's like, freaking the fuck out everybody's lives are in disarray it's like yeah so we're gonna shoot a movie right now it's like is this guy mad because he lost <laughs> his fucking mind life's over like as you know it is over so you're not doing this and then, but that's it, literally you, that was 
that is what SAG shouted at us um, during that production. They're like, "What do you? What do you mean you're shooting a movie? We, uh, you can't, you can't shoot a movie. Um, well, well, we want to visit and make sure the actors are fine." And I'm like, uh, "Well, if you do visit, then you're gonna be, you know, putting the actors in danger because they're never leaving their house. But I can give you the addresses, SAG." And they're like, "Uh, uh we don't know. Uh, you sure? Uh, yes, just do it." You know, because we had a lot of SAG actors in that one. Um, I hate great. putting together SAG contracts. You ever do that? It's so annoying. You've done. Oh, you produce, dude. dude. It's a fucking nightmare. It it is. It is, and I wish they would make it easier for filmmakers because you know there's so much red tape with different things and everything, and it's just like, you know, as you can tell, we just want to make movies. You know, it's like you know we're. I can understand, like, you know, we're Marvel. Yes, like, hit us with everything in the book because, you know, they've got the money, they've got all this stuff. But, like, when you're dealing with, like, an independent film, the budget of Dark Offerings was literally, like, less than, like, 200 bucks before post. It was, wow. Yeah, because the whole thing was shot through Zoom. Entire wow. Thing. But um, you still got to have a payroll company now because of the SAG, and you got to have that. That's all you have to have in and out times. And it's like, that yeah. like the, I like when I was making my film, it was just like I could because it was just like I was one man banding it for a lot of it. And it was just like I I have to hire somebody and pay them just to deal with the SAG aspect because like they'd have to deal with the payroll company. They'd have to like talk to the representatives about in and out times. And all. it's like I can't I'm doing a million things. And it's just like, yeah, and that's how it is when you're making a small film. So it's like to do all that stuff on top of it. It's just like, I can't do this. Like, but I've also like, you know, I've worked on other people's films and helped out on those kind of things. And it's just like, this is a pain in the air. I understand. I'm glad, yeah. you know, thank God for unions. They're very good, you know, but, yeah. uh, well, not for me, man. I, it's like, it's why I, my producing, like, I was like, yeah, somebody else to do this. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's why I have producers now. I'm like, oh. I'm like, Oh, we need a, Somebody who likes to do that. Like there's people yeah, exactly. who like to I'm do like, that. Hey, we're doing SAG. Here you go. This is the like, date. <laughs> like Carmine Famigletti, like Carmine. Uh, he likes doing that stuff. And yeah. it's just like, all right, then, then go go off. I don't know how a, a rational human being could enjoy this, but go nuts. I'm way too ADHD. So I'm just like, wow. I, I look at the, I, I look at like, like to me, like, like when I see like a bunch of forms and it's all in front of me, all the words just kind of like start morphing together and i just go ah okay i'm yes i'm gonna go and do something else you want to go ride bikes it's just like it's just like (laughs) uh, you also uh, have another great genre person that you've had in your short last call terry alexander and that same thing you met from uh from day of the dead and uh so terry terry and i go way back um terry so i did a short film called the last call last call uh, which stars terry alexander and um one of the producers on it was his next door neighbor um, and knew him. And like, we were just touching the shit about talking about shooting something. And um, she goes, well, do you know who Terry Alexander is? Um, he was in a little movie called day of the dead. And I was like, like, I, like my heart stopped. I go, are, are you seriously asking me if I know who Terry fucking Alexander is from day of the dead? Are you kidding me? It's my, in my top five favorite zombie films of all time. Like, like no fuck that it's in my top three like um and she's like oh well i could reach out to him you know but if he likes the script he'll do it and i was like oh and i wrote the script out trashed the whole fucking script wrote it again um and it was just a short and i just like literally didn't sleep for three fucking days 
writing this thing out and then went through it, polished it, and then sent it to him. And then I heard back and we met and Terry and I connected instantly. He is one of the nicest human beings. He's one of the people that looks into your soul. I just absolutely love that man. We've had many adventures, many, many, many a good time. Um, and I will keep working with Terry as long as he keeps saying yes. I tell people I have a Terry Alexander clause in all my films that Terry cannot die in the film and Terry um, has to be in the film. So no matter what, if I make something and Terry says yes, and he is in it. Um, yeah, I have like certain like, Mike Bichetti is an actor. I work a uh, comedian. I work with Mike Bichetti and it's just like, I could never kill him in a film. I can't do it. Huh. It's like, it's like killing a puppy. It's just oh, like, yeah. you can't. it's like, you know, like, like it's, it's Terry Alexander, man, you know, like that he is like the coolest, like every time I see him, like, and I, like every time, like, like we, like he came to the terrifier two premiere and he's just like, comes out, he hangs like, you know what I mean? It's like, he's just one of the, most awesome human beings i've you know I, I mean i'm gushing over the guy i mean this necklace he gave me um that i wear all the time um when he went to shit i can't think of the name of it now I think he, he was over <laughs> he was like not peru he's gonna be like come on brother man um, <laughs> but yeah no you know it's just i absolutely love him and he's so i worked with him on that uh, last call and he's in doc offerings um which was a lot of fun with him um and how did the the uh getting back to dark offerings how did you get like there's effects stuff like did you just have to mail like stuff and then have like your effects person like okay here's what you're gonna do like i'm trying to figure out the mechanics of doing this pretty much that that's pretty much what happened like we would drop off care packages at the at the at people's house like i i would drive out to like um to like clifton um and uh but like you know, and I'd be like, hey, and we would stand like six feet away from each other. And like, you know, I'd be like, drop off the bot, the package. You'd spray it with Lysol and all this stuff. And, you know, we talk about the role and all that. And like, or like um, the only person who we weren't able to bring anything to was Lydia because she was upstate. So her, if you really look at her uh, spoilers for this, um, her death sequence, there's no gore. You know, it's all. Oh, yeah it's all sound effects and like um uh the burning stuff and all that it's, stuff yeah so she had to play stuff. all that out but yeah no um that's really what we did so the actors had to do it um because this is right like the world is shut down like yeah. right now while you guys are making this film oh, like totally. you couldn't do like i didn't well i don't leave my house anyway because i'm a psycho but it's just <laughs> like but the only time i went out during the pandemic was we drove to the bronx to buy edibles it was the weirdest thing it was the only time day trip me and my <laughs> wife took we just said let's go to the bronx there's this woman on on this is the you know you're in the future because this is like it's like so this was girl there's this woman on instagram and she's got an account where she sells edibles off of so could we just go to the bronx i'm like okay and this is like the first time we've been out in months and it was just like funny it's just like driving through manhattan like it took us from south brooklyn all the way to the bronx it took us like yeah. 40 minutes this is like everything is closed there's no you nobody's in the streets it's nobody's in their cars it was crazy it was the i kind of miss it to be quite honest with you because it's just so much it was actually fun to drive through manhattan like just like wow we're the only people on the road right now in manhattan yeah and it you was, guys are off making a movie which is just bizarre to me <laughs> well 
Well, like what, what happened was, was that, um, you know, I was, I was, um, I had literally just gone off of a shoot, um, in Ukraine. I was in the Ukraine. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I was out there and I'll never forget this. We were, uh, me and the DP from Nick and Nicky, um, we, we teamed up to do this monster movie, um, short, like little monster movie. Um, and we went out one night because in Ukraine, we found out that, uh, $40 gets you five drinks of like five whiskeys um, and an appetizer. And that includes tip. And it's a good tip. It's like that scene in Euro trip. It's like, we just have 17 cents and the lot, they come back and then I cut to them getting served lobsters. Here's a nickel. Yep. I quit. <laughs> That's literally how it was. So I, that night I got, we, we went out, uh, David went to sleep. Uh, we went out, we were out to like four in the morning. Now there's a seven hour time difference. So it's like four in the morning. There is like two in the afternoon here. Um, so I get back. I am like, the room's almost practically fucking spinning. My head hits the pillow and my phone starts blowing up and they're like, Hey man, Trump's shutting the country down. You are you still in Ukraine? You need to get back and be stuck down there. And I go downstairs and I knock on David's door and David's a little bit older. Um, he's going to kill me for saying that, but, um, and David opens the door and goes, I swear to God, this is some drunk stupidity. I'm going to punch you in the throat. What is it? And he's like, dude, all seriousness, Trump shutting the war, the, the borders down. We got to go back. He slams the door in my face. I am like, okay, maybe I'm overreacting. I go upstairs. David calls me up and goes, Hey, so this is real. Want to come down and have a drink? So we decide and like, we're like, fuck it. We're going to make a movie. Let's make a fucking movie. Um, we got an extra four days of just normalcy because the whole shutdown didn't hit Ukraine until like a little bit after. So Ukraine, we were still going out. We were still having fun. We had no idea about anything. And then we came back and reality hit. And uh, let me tell you something. It was easier to walk in to the to America from an, another country then during the pandemic than it is going from New York to New Jersey. We walked right in. They were like, oh, hey, what was your business out there? Uh, you know, uh, we're like, oh, we were uh, there for a wedding. And they're like, cool, have fun, enjoy, welcome back. Walked right in. We could have been, we could have been patient zero. And I walked in and at my, my at the time wife was, um, she had COVID. And, she caught it early. Yeah, and she had it bad and it was bad bad and i was like holy shit so yeah, that first wave it was like fucking captain trips I and mean, it was knocking people out like crazy oh, yeah and nobody knew what it was no one knew how contagious it was no one knew anything yeah you know so like we ended up so like she almost died and we decided that you know like fuck it we're not gonna let this stop making a film so i'm always obsessed with demons and stuff like that i you know evil dead as we were talking about earlier um so there's a lot of evil dead in this movie which i appreciated oh yeah yeah it's i mean uh dude i fucking love that movie but um but we wrote the script and i started calling people you know like um i'd been wanting to work with clifton dunn forever um actually he first time i met clifton he tried out for the lead role of nicky nicky mm. um and he, he didn't get the part but like i always kept his that's what i do with certain actors that come in and that's why i always tell actors like don't just because you don't get the part don't think that you didn't do a good job you could have done a very good job you know because i've had actors that didn't get the part and then they tell me off and they're like you you chose the wrong person you're a fucking idiot i'm like 
oh, okay, well, I was going to keep you for something else, but I uh, yeah. throw out. You really can't take it personally because it's really, it's just yeah. not what, if you're looking for, if you see something in your head, like, you know, you want to, you want to find that person that's in your head. Exactly. Or the chemistry's off, whatever. So like I called Clifton, I called Paul Sheehan is an amazing actor who has been in every single one of my films. Um, oh, that's Connor McLeod. He's great. Connor McLeod, which, you know, um, you know, if you really think about it, spoils the whole movie. Um, there oh, can be wow. Shit. Yeah. See? Son of a bitch. Yeah, exactly. Then um, we had worked with Lydia and Tina on an episode of Janice and the Golden Fleece. So we wanted, I wanted to bring them back. And then the, you know, I call up Michael um, and Jason and wrote them in and they're like, wait, how the fuck are you doing this? Uh, all right. We're fucking down. Oh, cool. You know, and Terry was like a no brainer. Um, I was like, Hey, Terry, you want to shoot something? He's like, I don't know, man. You know, there's a pandemic going on. And I was like, Oh, it's okay, man. It's all through zoom. Oh shit. I'm down. <laughs> Um, and we got him, we got Tamara Glynn from Halloween five, um, mm. who was a friend as well. Um, Eileen Dietz. Eileen Dietz reached out cause she, cause it, word had started getting out about it. And now Dread Central gave you some nice coverage while this was happening. I remember. Yes, they did. Yeah. Dread Central was super awesome with it. Um, uh, it was, uh, Massillian. Um, he was, he was the guy that was, he was working there at the time and he was just such a great guy. He, he really push the hell out of it yeah uh, you know, which is so, great like a nice oh, media yeah. outlet like that like having your back like that well him i mean like people they jumped on it was him michael gingold from rumorg he started pushing it he even got us into an ep, uh like check off like a dream for me was uh getting into fangoria printed magazine that's um, insane oh they that brought, yeah insane. yeah that yeah. to me i was like holy fucking shit like this is real um, and John Fallon from um, you have that co you have that issue, I assume. Oh, like, of course you know, I do. It's, yeah. it's it literally sits in like a frame and like, yeah, people breathe in there and I go, get the fuck away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, we also got Spencer Charnas from Ice Nine Kills, which is one of my favorite bands. Um, yeah, we were just getting anybody. Oh, and Zachariah Selwyn, who was in a zombie movie that I loved called Dead and Breakfast. That has an incredible. Oh, I never band. saw that. I heard that's great. Check it out. It's got a young, overweight Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Uh, <laughs> it's got Oz Perkins, Anthony Perkins' son. It's got um, David Carradine, um, Diedrich Batter. Um, it's Holy got, shit. The cast is insane in this over the top, zany zombie comedy movie. And Zachariah Selwyn is the country singing, rapping uh zombie that raps about eating humans and he like narrates the movie throughout and like it kind of breaks All right. i'm sold we got him and but yeah man within like two weeks of the pandemic we wrote the script and then just started shooting it and we learned a lot about uh zoom you know yeah well we all did as a country like you know like we just like that it oh fuck skype drop that ball man oh this was their it. game to lose yeah and they, they fucking got the empire and zoom went zooming right in there yeah what are we recording on We're recording on zoom right now because they they won the game exactly i mean everyone uses zoom you know what i mean it's like they were the smartest people and shooting dark offerings was it was insane because it was like i was you know i'm a big fan of doing full takes of like you know i don't like to just do like little pieces i like to let the actors go up and down you know like i've worked with like, like terry 
uh, Lori and Jarleth from Night of the Living Dead and Day of the Dead are, um, they're all theater actors. So I know um, Terry actually saved my ass when we did Last Call because we got so far behind because there was a lot of screw ups with the original DP and stuff like that. And um, we had to shoot his, he has got an eight page scene that is literally the movie. It's the call, the killer's calling in and it's all this dialogue. We had, we were going to shoot it the first night, but because we got so far behind, we had to push it. Mm. We only had two hours to shoot this thing. Um, and it's eight pages. And this is this is the crutch of the film. Like, if this scene does not work, this movie is useless. You know, it's the Drew Barrymore scene of, um, of Scream. Like, if that scene doesn't work, your rest of your movie, right. everyone's out. And Terry was, Terry and the other actor in the scene, which was David Moore, they were so incredible in that scene and um they were off book and they were able to do eight pages just like this so we just ran the camera so i knew terry could do this so most of them, so when we did um doc offerings we were i was you know it's not like you have like multiple cameras and stuff you just have this you just have i'm pointing at my yeah screen right now pointing at a zoom window yes yes and we would run like 10 pages, 13 pages at a time. And we'd just do it. And then we would have the actors, which was hard for actors. If you don't know this, actors don't like watching themselves. Some of them do, but some of them, they don't. Oh, like I didn't even think of that aspect of it. I hate looking at myself. That's horrible. <laughs> yeah. So, like we've realized to get the best quality for some of them, or I was just became paranoid. Um, we would do all the takes for the actors. It became almost like methodic for them. And then we would have them record themselves. So they're doing the whole take, playing off of themselves, looking at themselves, doing these scenes. So like, it's a true testament. The whole cast absolutely killed it. Um, yeah. cause, and they were all recording each other too. So they were almost the cinematographers as well. You know? So it's like, it was, I mean, it's such a crazy experience, you know, to think of like, um making this movie and then um you know and the only scene that we shot later um we we wrapped in june june of 2020 um the pandemic we wrapped in june and the final week of shooting is when the black lives matter um movement happened oh jesus and all that and we shot the movie in chronological order so as you know the movie gets very fucking dark and messed up and I'll never forget as the we we shot like a day about and it was like a hard day for the actors because it was just the subject matter in the film and everything and turn it off and we're all chatting and having a drink through Zoom and then all of a sudden like the Black Lives Matter stuff is all coming out and we're like oh my god so that whole week of the final week where all everyone's getting either killed or all the truths are coming out and you're finding out how fucked up these people are all that's weighing down on everybody. And the rap party was the first time half of these people met in person because it was right when the we, we were able to go out and it was like New Orleans in New York City. We were down West 4th and drinking on the streets and like getting handed to go things. And it was I'll never forget. We're all in the street. Terry's out there. It was like most of the cast and the Black Lives Matter March walked went right through our rap party. And it was just such a surreal experience and just seeing because we had been so cut off from the outside world and now we're like holy shit like reality's hitting and we just made a fucking movie and nothing stops people from you know creating or like 
pushing their message or, you know what I mean? It's like, it's yeah. such a beautiful, surreal moment. And um, funny part of all this, two of the actors from that film to this day has still have never met in person. Wow. Clifton and Paul, who are in almost every scene together. Yeah, right. Never met in in, in person. And, you know, um, Paul went back to Ireland um, and uh, he and, and him and their paths, they just never crossed. And to me, it's mind blowing because you just did a full like think about it. It's like what we were talking about, the camaraderie on a film. Like it happens with the actors. You just did a full feature film with someone and that yeah. you never physically met in person. So weird. That's a thing that could happen now. It's really weird. To be continued. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This is the end of part one. We'll get back to Marcus uh, soon, but next week is uh, Annie Choi's interview. Uh, this is a really special one for me because this is the one where I really felt I hit a groove with this. I hope you stick around for that one. It's a lot of fun. Also, we'll have a proper intro next time. Uh, I wanted to have the zoning out intro to essentially, uh, well, trick you people into thinking it's a new episode of zoning out so you'd listen. Sorry. I love you.